All right, you ready to study God's Word? Get your Bibles out and go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs. In the book, a little book back in what they call the Minor Prophets there in the Old Testament. It might take you just a moment to find it. The book of Habakkuk. I used to say, if you have 20 minutes, find Habakkuk, all right? We'll read from Proverbs here in just a moment, then we will turn over to Habakkuk, and you'll want to keep your finger there. But today I want to share with you on the subject, the vision of the house, the vision of the house. And most of you that are listening to me live this morning, as well as those who might be listening by CD or watching by DVD, have undoubtedly sometime in your life heard a message about vision. Vision is not unique to the church. Vision is something that is talked about in commerce, in the marketplace, in business. And vision really is one of the crucial elements that defines why people gather together. I mean, there's a reason why we've come this morning. There's a reason why we want to link up. There's a reason why we want to be a part of each other's lives. And so it's important to know why. It's important to know why we are here as a group where we are going, and how you plan to get there. And all of this is done, I guess, with, with the great presumption and assumption that it's all under God's guidance. Now, you can't hit what you haven't seen. How many of you know if you take off for a trip and you're absolutely clueless, when you finally reach your destination, you won't know if you reached it or not because you never had an idea about where you were going? And even if you're walking by faith, I believe that God gives a picture by faith's eyes as to where you need to be walking. I put on the screen overhead a definition of vision. You might want to write this down because it will be good for you whether it be in church life or your personal life. Everybody needs a vision. The definition of vision, as I've come to understand it, is this. It is seeing by faith a picture of a preferable future. Seeing by faith a picture of a preferable future. Let me give you just a quick illustration that's one of the best I've heard. Years ago, you will have heard the name of Walt Disney. Walt Disney was the original creator of all the Disney products. He created a theme park in California and got a vision for another theme park on the east coast of the United States that eventually came to Orlando, as most of you have probably visited already, and he got a vision for that years and years ago. And uh, he began to cast that vision. They began to work toward putting that theme park together in that sleepy little mid-central floor to town Orlando. Orlando wasn't much before Disney got there. And so Walt had a vision for it, but it was on really the front end of the work of creating that theme park that Walt Disney passed away. And so the day finally came, I believe it was in the early 70s or mid-70s, when Disney World was finally finished and created there in Orlando, Florida, that they had the great dedication opening ceremony. And Mrs. Disney came to the ceremony, and she was on the platform and was about ready to be introduced, and the chief executive officer of the Disney Corporation was there, and he he began to give the introduction for Mrs. Disney. And as he was introducing her, he turned around and he looked to her and he says, it's too bad 
Walt could not have been here and seen this today. And then he handed the microphone over to her and she came to the podium and her first words as she responded was, on the contrary, though Walt isn't here today, he saw this long before any of us ever saw it. That's what vision is all about. Vision is about seeing before it actually manifests. And this morning, I, I want to take a Sunday out of the year to just begin to re-energize, to begin to hopefully put inspiration back into the vision, to begin to speak and to declare and to challenge those things that I believe God has called me to and he's calling us to accomplish, not only in the city of Charleston, South Carolina, but ultimately in the state and in the region and in the world. If you have your Bibles open to the book of Proverbs, I'm going to be reading out of Proverbs 29, one verse, verse 18. Proverbs 29 and 18, this is what we read. It says, where there is no vision or where there is no revelation, some of your versions will have different words slid in there. The old King James Version says vision. My version says revelation. Some of your versions will say prophetic insight. But where there is no unveiling or vision, the people cast off restraint. Keep that in mind. Might want to keep your finger there. And now flip over to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading verses 2 and 3. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. This is what we read. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. And make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Isn't that a good verse? Let me talk just a little bit of what I've called the biblical aspect of vision, the biblical aspect of vision. I've read to you two passages in the Bible that I think are probably the two best verses on vision. Now, there are many stories that we could turn to, many incidents, many exploits all through the Word of God that illustrate vision in the life of people and in the life of, of groups in the children of Israel. Solomon said in the book of Proverbs that without vision from God, in fact, I'm literally going to try to translate the concept out of the Hebrew for you right now. Solomon says that without vision from God, you will wander aimlessly. You will cast off, the Bible says, all disciplined. And he says that uh, you will stumble. In fact, some of your versions will actually say where there is no vision, the people perish. And what that means is, is that where there is no unveiling or where there is no God vision, you'll stumble around like you're in a desert and you will eventually die for lack of vision. Is that not incredible? So vision isn't just something we toy around with, but vision can ultimately be life and death for you personally and for a local church. Now Habakkuk the prophet says that if it's not declared, if it's not announced, it has no chance of manifestation. He says you need to begin to speak it, to declare it, to write it down. He says do this even if it seems like it's tearing, even if it seems like it takes a long time because God is not phased by time, amen? 
A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. And so I know we all want our personal vision to happen next week. I know we all want our aspirations and hope to manifest in the next few days. But sometimes God has a work to do in us as well as around us, and sometimes his ultimate vision doesn't manifest instantly, and he says, wait on it. It may tarry, but wait on it because it will happen. And so he says, keep declaring it, keep writing it, keep announcing it so the people can keep embracing it and running with it. Just like a basketball game. In a basketball game, those two teams, it's amazing to me. I always find this interesting. Those two teams have practiced for some 20 or 30 minutes before the game starts. They shoot the ball. They do their layups. They get warmed up before the game happens. And then they come out to center court for the tip-off. And the referee bounces the ball, and he looks at the two uh, tall centers as he's about ready to put the ball up. And he looks at the one, and he says, you're going this way. And he looks at the other and says, you're going this way even though they've just practiced at the goal that they were supposed to be shooting at. How many of you know you need somebody to step in every now and then and say, we're going this way. We're going this way. And so that's what Pastor's doing this morning. He's, he's coming up and you're talented and many of you have scored and, and, and you've warmed up and you're ready to play the game. And one more time, I'm just saying, we're going this way. This is the way we're going. So let's talk about that. A little bit about what legacy is all about and where we're going. Number one, who are we as a church? Who are we as a church? Now, I have just noticed this through the years, and it's a normal happening. I believe that this is a natural outgrowth of a relationship that exists between pastor and people. But a church tends to take on the personality of its senior pastor. Now, why is that? Why is it that you, you tend to take on the values and the personality and some of the aspects of who the pastor is? It's because, number one, I sow into you every week. I speak into your life spiritually, and so a lot of the things that I speak into you obviously come through my personality, and a lot of that rubs off on you. But the second reason is far more spiritual. It is because God calls a person, he's always done this, it's a scriptural precept, he calls a person to articulate and embody the vision that he is speaking. Now, I'll just share this with you. The Bairds, as you have come to know, are fairly passionate people about the things of God. I mean, we just kind of live all out. We especially are passionate about the present ministry and activity of the Holy Spirit. So when you come to Legacy, you're going to come to a passionate place. You're going to come into a congregation that's passionate about living all out for God passionate about becoming a true disciple, passionate about living out their Christianity. Now, I don't particularly like labels. I know we label things in order that we can have a quick understanding of what something might be. Oftentimes, unfortunately, labels can carry a lot of baggage we might not like. But if you would force me to say, well, if you were to put a label on your church, and I'm asked this all the time, what label would you put on your church? And so oftentimes I'll, I'll look at people and I say, well, I, I guess you might use terms like full gospel. We might be in some people's mind Pentecostal. In other people's minds, they might use the term charismatic. Uh, the word or buzzword these days is spirit-filled. I don't know the exact label you would call us, but but we are a non-denominational fellowship of believers who are just trying to do our best 
to adhere to what God says in his word and to walk it out day by day and to be credible and genuine in that pursuit. If you came to Legacy, you'd find a people who every now and then will shout. They'll clap their hands. Amen. We'll be in worship and all of a sudden you'll see the antennas start to go up. And every now and then, we'll be in a moment where you'll even see what I call the sanctified hop beginning to happen. Because that's what the Bible teaches about praising God and how we praise God. We believe that God is active in the earth today, that he's alive and that he's well and that he moves by his spirit in the earth. We believe that he works through his, his people and he calls them at times gifts. And the Bible speaks of at least nine gifts that can manifest through a believer's life, which includes healing and miracles. And so we believe that you can come to a place like Legacy and you can get healed from your hurts and you can get healed from your wounds and you can get healed from your sicknesses and you can get healed from your diseases because that's what the Bible teaches. Folks say, well, what do you believe? Well, we believe in basically sound doctrine. We are orthodox, that means normal, in our doctrine. I believe that the Bible is God's inerrant word. I, I, I believe that the, the, the book, as we can understand it, and as God begins to help us understand it, is infallible. I believe Jesus was fully God and fully man. We will preach to you on a regular basis that you need to know God by confessing Jesus as Lord. We believe he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. We believe you need a born-again experience. We also begin to declare that there's a standard to which God calls his people, and that standard is holiness. And while we can't codify and legislate and legalize what we think is holiness, we certainly will challenge you to live above the norm. We believe that when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you go to heaven. We believe that if you don't accept Jesus, your eternity will be warm. We believe that the Lord is coming back for his church very soon. If you were to ask, well, are you a conservative church or a liberal church? Well, I, I've come to this conclusion. We're conservative in some areas and we're progressive in other areas. We just try to see what the Bible says and leave the labels off and we just go with that. Now, if you want to know a little bit about me, I'll just tell you right off the bat. I'm just a tad weird. They know it. I mean... I just, there's just, I'm, you just have to be a tad quirky to be a pastor. And if you listen to my life, and I can't share the whole testimony, but, you know, I went to a top 20 seminary. I have a master's degree and a doctorate degree in church history. I can read the New Testament Greek fluently. All those things are in my life, but at the same time, let me tell you this. I'm sort of like this wannabe rock and roller. I love to praise God and to jam in praise, and to worship the Lord with all my heart. I practice the things of the Spirit. I've been known to shout a few times myself, to yell, to give God everything I got. And I'm one of those kind of people that, that don't believe you have to check your brain out at the door, but at the same time, I don't think you should check your passion out at the door either. 
You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Every aspect of your being is to be totally yielded to the Lord. And the good news is, at least I think it's a good news, and that is, is that we're not just connected to one another here at this local church, but there are over 500 pastors and churches in the southeast who are a lot like us, and we're connected to them as well. We're an independent local church, which means we get to follow the Lord as he begins to speak to us, but we have this connection of relationships all over the southeast that says we're not alone. That's a little bit of who we're about. Now, number two, why are we here? Why is Legacy Cathedral here? What makes us unique? What makes us different? Or what would make us special? I remember a pastor that was here not long ago standing here in the pulpit, and he asked the question, does a city actually need another local church? And a city like Charleston, that would be a great question. Do we really need another local church? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. Now, my job is not to evaluate other churches. My job is in no way, shape, or form to evaluate what anyone else feels called to do or what they're doing in the kingdom. We affirm everyone who preaches the gospel. But my specific call is prophetic. I'm calling a people back to the cross. I'm calling a people back to the power of God. The Bible clearly says that the cross is the power of God. We believe that every need man has can be met in a revelation of the cross. It is the answer. It is the solution to every issue in a person's life. I, I believe that there are a lot of tools that we can use to help people along, but ultimately every tool should lead you back to the cross and put you at the foot of it so that you can get a revelation and see what Jesus provided for you. That is not my opinion. That is the Bible. Christianity, listen, Christianity is not another program. Christianity is about a person. His name's Jesus. Christianity is a way of life. Your faith in Jesus is not a compartment. It's not a feature of your life, but I believe it is your life. He took me out of a way of life, and he planted me into a brand new life. And I just don't think you hear as much as you need to hear about the power of the cross in the world today. In fact, I believe the cross is becoming the line in the sand in many churches as to whether they will be slightly spiritual and sort of a a religious social club, or whether they will decide to aspire to be the hope of the world. And at Legacy, we're not looking to be just, just another ordinary place that you can come and worship God, but we believe that we should provide an answer and become the hope of a city. Now, now we're not the hope. That cross and Jesus is the hope. But someone has to be the conduit or the agent through which that hope can be declared. And the Great Commission says that all of us are to go and to make disciples. And that's why we emphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We don't put the Holy Spirit in a closet. We don't try to figure out some other night of the week to expose you to his ministry because it is the Holy Spirit who brings the power of the cross to this very moment. It is the Holy Spirit who has the capacity to go back 2,000 years ago as a timeless person of the Godhead. He can go back 2,000 years ago and begin to gather up the power of the blood that was shed on Golgotha's hill and race 
to this very day in 2006 and begin to look at people and apply the power of the blood to release forgiveness, to cleanse them from sin, to redeem them from the power of the enemy, to convert them, to deliver them from the bondages of the enemy, to heal their sicknesses, to break the curses of, of poverty and generational issues off their life. Let me tell you, I need the Holy Ghost in my life to keep me up to date. And you need Him too. That's what we're about. We're about giving people an answer and a solution. We're not about patting you on the back and saying, have a nice week. We're about saying, we've got an answer to your problem. That's why we're here. Well, number three, where are we headed then as a church? How does all this translate into some movement or some journey? Well, oftentimes I will speak back in Genesis chapters 12 through about chapter 15 of Father Abraham. There was an old Sunday school song that many of us sung about Father Abraham. And the passage as God began to deal with Abraham declares to us that he took him out of his tent into the night sky and the Lord said, look into the sky and see the stars and count them if you can. And Abraham responded to the Lord and he said, there's, there's too many stars. They're innumerable. It's impossible to begin to count all the stars that are in the sky. And God speaks a promise into Abraham at that particular moment. And he says to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. They'll be innumerable. Untold myriads of people who will be of your seed. When you translate that into New Testament life, what happens is as we receive Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we become of the seed of Abraham. And that promise that he received out that night when God took him to look at that beautiful night sky is that same inheritance and promise that comes to us. And it is God's heart that there is a harvest of people, an uncommon harvest of billions and billions of people who will love him and serve him and worship him as Lord of all. And our promise as a church is that we have a part of that inheritance our promise as a church is that God points us to that same night sky and he says, envision, begin to look. You will impact your neighbors. You will impact your neighborhood. You'll impact the city. You'll impact the state, the region, and the nation. We believe that we have a piece of that great, unfathomable inheritance that God wants us to be a church prepared to receive that uncommon harvest. I believe that God has placed legacy in this spot, in this hour, at the original foundational settlements of Charlestown. He has put us on the site in order that we might go back to the foundations and redig the foundations and establish this city and be a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem. And just as this city hundreds of years ago became the springboard for expansion all across this nation, I believe that God's Spirit is looking for a springboard at this same location that will begin to spread across this city, this state, and this nation. And that is why we are here. That's why we are here. It, it is, it is an uncommon destiny. It's uncommon. Those are the only ones worth giving your life to. I'm not giving my life to the ordinary, to the usual. 
I want to give my life to that which is unusual, extraordinary, uncommon. If I'm going to sow my energy and sow my finances and expend my life into something, then I want to give it to something that only God's a part of. And that's why our vision statement, and it's not fancy and it doesn't rhyme. There's no alliteration to it. My feeling was a vision statement ought to fit on a t-shirt. And it's simply this. We win souls and make disciples. Just sort of a meat and potato declaration. Win souls and make disciples. Everything we do has this at its core. If we do that seriously, listen to me. If we do that seriously, then how many of you know we'll set addicts free? If we do that seriously, we can restore marriages. If we do that seriously, we will reverse the curse of poverty. If we do that seriously, we can capture a generation. We can change a city. A city doesn't need more programs. It needs the cross. I am believing for a great church because ultimately the church is the only earthly organization that can even begin to address the issues of this world. I believe that. I believe the smallest church is more significant than the largest Fortune 500 company. I believe that. I believe the smallest church that's declaring the cross will do more good than, than the greatest of companies who have billions for their stockholders. I believe we will have greater impact than that company. Legacy is a church that is designed to help handle and facilitate the harvest. Praise the Lord. So, Pastor, what's the strategy? Number four, what is the strategy for getting there? A strategy, I guess, is what you would call a battle plan. What's the battle plan? A lot of great things, a lot of inspiration, a lot of God-designed vision, but how do you plan to get there? Well, this is the strategy. You. There's not going to come some great happening over the mountain or over the hill or in through the harbor that's going to somehow be the answer. You are the answer. You're not the B team. You will be the A team. God doesn't have someone else for the assignment. All he's got is you, and he wants to use you for that assignment. Every believer can be a multiplier. That's our strategy. We believe that every person has within them the capacity to begin to beget other sons and daughters of the gospel. In the book of Acts, the book starts out with the early church starting in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in those first chapters, the account tells us that the church was added to daily. It was added to. But then you get to about chapter 6, 7, and 8, and suddenly something else begins to happen. All of a sudden, the church is not just being added to, but the Bible tells us that there's a multiplication that begins to take place. There's addition, then there's multiplication. How did all of a sudden it change from addition to multiplication? Well, what happened was is that God began to move, and as believers began to understand that their mission and commission was, was to go out and multiply or spread the gospel, they began to get serious about becoming disciples. And so they began to be trained. They, they were formed and they were fashioned and they were worked on. And, and all of a sudden as they were worked on and as Christ was formed in them, they began to have influence in the lives of other people. So I want you to listen to me this morning. I do not care who you may be. 
You may be the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. You may feel like you have a great, wonderful, influential job, or you may feel like that the job you're currently at or the thing that you're currently assigned to do doesn't seem to be that important. It doesn't matter. It does not matter what you feel or what you think. Let me just share this. God has put you where he has, and he's working in you what he's doing in order that you can have influence over someone else. Everybody can influence somebody. Every one person can somehow touch another one person. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. If you'll recall, the Good Samaritan's walking along, and other people passed him by, but suddenly the Good Samaritan sees this man who'd been robbed and thrown in a ditch. He looked in the ditch, and he saw somebody who needed help. He saw the harvest. It wasn't thousands of people. It was just one person in a ditch. And his ministry started in a ditch. He just stepped into the ditch and began to help this ditch person. Took him to a hotel. Got him cleaned up. Sort of got him started. Paid his way. Did a few things like that and began to shepherd him or what I call began to pastor him. Now, I know everybody thinks that the pastor is the point person. But can I just tell you, I believe God's calling pastors all over. For us to begin to be involved in people's lives. Everybody can touch one. That's not a program. I don't have to program that. It should be a way of life. It's not about getting a sign-up sheet out in the foyer and putting ditch ministry on it. Saying, let's all sign up. I need a group for ditch ministry today. It's not about a sign-up to start another program. It's about sowing into you a vision that will cause your eyes to be open that as you leave this place and you go through your week, you'll begin to see ditch people all around you. It's opening our eyes up to the harvest field. And that's why we promote cells and we want people to be involved in our connect groups because that's where relationships are forged. That's where life can be lived out. That is where we can begin to be mentored and multiplied and all of a sudden we have something that we're prepared to give to other people that's our strategy now the question now is number five how will the strategy be accomplished all of this sounds good but now you got to put some some steps to the mission some steps to the vision how will the strategy be accomplished well it's relatively simple i think we just ask that Folks who seek to minister in the life of legacy just begin to work through and move through the process that we've put in motion in order to help people be prepared, in order for people to get a revelation, in order for people to begin to see their need for some things from God in order that they can be profitable workers in the harvest field. Now, in church life, it's interesting because there's always going to be folks who are at different places along the journey. I know some folks are starting the journey, some have just gotten started, others are kind of in the middle, others are a long way down the journey, so I understand people are all over the map when it comes to their journey. I know some folks will say as they come to Legacy, well for me, I enjoy Sunday and, and I want to just enjoy, it's that season of my life and, and I enjoy the liberty of being here on Sunday and, and I just want to be sowed into and worship and that's great and I want you to know that we appreciate you being here and I'm glad that you're here. There'll be another group that will say, but you know, I, I want to jump in and get involved and I, I want to be profitable in the harvest and I want to be an extension of what's going on here. And I just want to encourage you that through this process is the ability to be loosed, at least from this local church, into the harvest field in order that we can begin to do a work together to achieve 
that which God has spoken to us about. And there are four concepts, four words that I use in order to communicate what it is that we're about. The first word is the word when. When. Everything we do should have a component of winning people to Jesus Christ. Everything we do should have some feature of outreach, reaching out to people, extending our hand with the gospel into our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. Everything we do should have, at least at its core, the possibility of sharing the gospel and sharing good news. The Great Commission needs to be a part of our church culture. I just have determined most of the time, and the folks that are here know this, by and large, I give invitations every time we're together now. Because whether I preach on a subject that has to do with salvation or not, I just feel like that we ought to give the Holy Spirit opportunity to work on someone's heart in order to bring them to the knowledge of their need for the Lord. And I just think it ought to be a part of our culture. It should be the culture of everything we do, the culture of all the connect groups. All the connect group leaders should be ready and equipped to share the gospel. We need to expect opportunities every week that I'm going to be able to share my faith. Number one is win. We need to be about what Jesus died for, and that was to win the lost. Number two, it's the word connect. Connect. People need to be connected to the Lord first and then connected to one another. Now, we connect with God by obviously developing a relationship with him. But every relationship usually has to go through a discipline or a process. And so here at Legacy, we offer people the encounter process. Those of you that have gone through it will know this instantly, but we ask that folks go through four what we call pre-encounter classes in order that they might be prepared to have a weekend where we can zero in and, and talk to them about freedom and and we bring them together this weekend, and we declare the cross, and we bring people to the cross, and let them understand what Jesus provided for them. And through this weekend, they begin to learn that they don't have to live with their bitterness. Amen. They don't have to live with their wounds and their hurts and their bondages. They don't have to, they don't have to wrestle with shadows. Have you ever felt like you were wrestling with a shadow, and you could just never get free from that shadow of the past? We teach and declare that you don't have to wrestle with those shadows anymore. We want you to be a whole, well, free person. And then after that weekend, we have, we have folks that will then go through 10 weeks of classes that follow up because you got to walk your deliverance out. You've got to walk your freedom out. You've got to put some things in your life that enable you step by step to begin to develop some good godly habits so you can, you can build on what God has done in your life. Because if you're going to become a multiplier, how many of you realize that you don't want to multiply the junk that's in you? Isn't that true? I mean, if you're just weird and bound up and hurt and bitter and wounded and just messed up, I mean, why would we multiply that? So God provided the cross and his son in order to cleanse us, in order that we don't have to multiply that stuff when we interact with other people. And we have found out, at least I have, that even folks that have walked with God for decades and years have found great help going through the encounter process. And then, as, as, as soon as we help people connect in much deeper ways with the Lord, we want you to connect with other people because the faith isn't real faith until you get connected with somebody else. And so what we do is we challenge people to, to get a connect group, to begin to forge relationship. 
Yes, it challenges all of our schedules. It challenges our priorities. But, but this isn't a feature of our life. This is our life. And so we give that challenge and trust that some will pick that up and say, you know what, I, I want to be connected first to my God and then I want to live my faith out with people and be profitable in the harvest. The third word is the word disciple. Disciple. You can't make a disciple if you've not been a disciple. You can't give what you're not. You can't call people to that which you've not responded to. And so in order for us to make disciples, the assumption behind the verse is, is that somehow or another we've become a disciple. And all of us not only need an ongoing relationship with Jesus in order that we might grow in him, but, but you know, God uses other people in order to help Christ be formed in us. And that's what Paul said. Paul said, I'm laboring with you. I'm toiling with you. I'm working with you. Every time I read those verses, I can see Paul just squinting and groaning as he's working with people. He says, I'm laboring with you because I want to see Christ formed in you. So after you go through this encounter process, we encourage people to go to School of Leaders. It's a 36-week course, three 12-week trimesters. And in those courses, you'll learn doctrine and you'll learn more about the foundations of the faith and you'll learn about how to forge relationship and we'll cast more vision and it's an opportunity to begin the discipling process and what that class time does is it prepares you to be spiritually mentored by someone else and for those that eventually are invited to sell leadership you'll be in a mentoring relationship in order that you can keep growing as you begin to assist others this is the way life was done in the bible Moses did that with Joshua. Elijah did that with Elisha. Jesus walked with his disciples. Paul worked with Timothy. On and on we could go, but everybody needs somebody that's a few steps farther in the faith than they are in order to help them through their Christian walk. And then finally comes number four, and that's when you're sent. It's the word send. As you enter into all of these aspects, now comes the moment for you to launch out and be the influencer. It is time for you to become the laborer, the shepherd, the leader. You are now prepared to multiply those things that has been put in you. You're prepared to multiply that which you've received. You're prepared to carry out the unique vision that God is calling us to as a people. And so I believe that there will be connect groups all over the city. There are going to be connect groups that are going to happen outside this particular region, probably to become local churches themselves. All of these groups will be doing the Great Commission. They aren't just coming and, you know, doing us four, no more, Acts 2, 4, close the door stuff, you know. All of these groups are going to be reaching out and declaring the cross and looking people eye to eye and saying, I got good news, you can be free. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke and said that we would plant churches and we would have influence that would go up and down the interstate and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to us how we would have a national voice in some areas. I believe that there'll be satellite campuses and satellite links. All of these things were spoken of by the apostles and the prophets. I believe that God is preparing us in this hour for 21st century multiplication because he is serious about reaching the world. 
So what does that bring us to? It brings us to this final moment, and that is, I want to invite you once again to join the cause. It's not just an ethereal, nebulous concept that we just sort of throw out there, but this is meat and potatoes. We've, we've got a process. We, we may not be perfect, and there may be other ways of doing it, but at least I can say we're making a good faith attempt at doing it. I invite you to come and join us in the cause. I was told that if someone were to run for a political office, that they are told by their handlers that if you're in front of the television camera or if you're in front of a group or whoever you're talking to, when the time comes that it's all wrapped up and you're concluding your, your speech or whatever it is, your debate about wanting to have that particular public office, that at the very end you should look them in the eye, look in a camera, look people in the eye, and just say it bluntly and boldly and without apology, I want your vote. And I listen to politicians do that all the time. They aren't ashamed by it. They don't grimace. I watched the other day. I, I know politicians will spend hours on a phone, picking up a phone, raising money, unashamedly, unabashedly saying, I need thousands from you. Will you do that for me? I mean, they'll just be blunt and ask about it. And I thought to myself, if, if a politician can do that for something actually as, as distasteful, at least to me at times, as the political process, how much more in the kingdom and in the local church, us who have a heart after God, who have a who have a pure intention, who really want to do a work for the Lord in a city, how much more should we look at people and look into cameras and begin to ask unabashedly, will you join me and help me in this? Will you get your checkbooks out at times when I ask you to? And will you really write a check and do something and give and go beyond the normal? Will you rearrange a busy schedule? Will you practice sacrifice and do the uncommon? If our politicians do that and they don't grimace, why should our preachers not do it? One of the first things that I didn't even realize, I was probably being prophetic when I did it, but one of the first things I did when Legacy started now, some four years ago, was I wrote on the front of our brochure, our bulletin, we had a church bulletin at the time, and I wrote a little phrase on that bulletin. It's still found on the, connect, on the connect sheets that our guests are handed. But there's a little saying there that goes like this. It says, imagine yourself linked with a group of people who genuinely love God and want to please him, who are willing to pursue a destiny, who are convinced that there are some causes worth the sacrifice, and who dare to dream of things greater than today, then why not be at Legacy Cathedral? Why not? I believe within the heart of every man and every woman there's a God stir toward the uncommon. I believe there's something inside of every human being that says to themselves sometimes in a still quiet voice that when life is said and done and it's all over, they don't want to have lived life in such a way that they're just another statistic or person or that somehow they've done it just ordinarily and they've not made a difference. I believe there is something down deep in the soul of every human being that really wants somehow to make a difference. That's what legacy is about. 
That's what I'm inspired and endeavoring to do. And that's what I'm asking you to be a part of so that when you look back over your shoulder and you look at the end of your life, what you spent your time with and what you spent your money on and what you gave your energy to, that when it's all said and done and you're at that age level where you know time is short and sometimes you can ask people who have lived many years, there's nobody on their gravestone who write the words, I wish I spent more time at work. But I will assure you that you will look back and everything for the kingdom that you sacrificed and everything for the kingdom that you expended energy and everything for the kingdom that you gave your time to, you will look back through the years and you will say to yourself, that's the best thing I could have ever done and now I wish I could have done more. That's what we're calling people to. And whether you're watching by DVD or listening by CD or whether you're here listening to me one more time this morning, articulate the vision somewhere in your heart I want you right now to say I embrace that I want that I want my life to matter and I believe with this group we can begin to see that happen together